said it on this podcast before. I'm going to say it again. I'm obsessed with the mind. I just find its abilities, its depth and power so incredible and fascinating. I already did a couple of episodes with the mind at the forefront, one about mental health and neuroplasticity, and the other one about the power of the subconscious. Today, as a continuation of my Ayurveda sequel, A Journey to Healthy Living with Ayurveda Medicine, we'll explore the mind through an Ayurvedic standpoint. I told you I'm obsessed. <laughs> Indeed, in part one, we touch upon the importance of aligning our body with our own composition and the external environment. In other words, Ayurveda is a great reminder. It reminds us that the earth, mother nature, through seasons, naturally provides us with the food that we need at that specific time. With our overly industrialized society, it's so easy to forget that as humans, we're fully part of that ecosystem, that our constitution is made to live in tune with nature, with the circadian rhythms, literally the rise and the set of the sun, to be active when nature is active and rest when nature is resting, to balance our daily routine so that we flow with the energies of the day rather than going against them, which will inevitably result in suffering. But what is a healthy body without a balanced, healthy mind? There is no denying that the two are inherently linked together. Brain functioning underlines and affects mental and behavior functioning. A body that is not functioning well is often a reflection of what's going on inside one's head. Similarly, a mind that is not well will affect the body through a series of ailments, diseases, and imbalances. Imagine all the things that you have been exposed to and going through individually since you took your first breath on earth. Now, add all of the societal, everything that you've experienced to and mix it to the bunch. That's a lot, right? <laughs> the mind has a tremendous influence on our overall health. That's what I want to dissect today. How to heal our minds on all levels from the subconscious to the superconscious part of the brain with the three regulatory principles of the body, mind, and soul in Ayurveda. For that discovery, who better than a neuroscience BA holder and psychiatrist who has an extensive knowledge of Western medicine, public health, but also adds Ayurveda, spiritual practices, and wellness lifestyle approaches into the mix to build an unshakable awareness for self-healing. I'm very grateful to have Dr. Siva Mohan on this podcast today to guide my little investigation about aligning our mind with Ayurveda medicine. From neuroscience dork to witch doctor, her words, <laughs> Siva presents a unique East-West mind-body version of Ayurveda. With her mind-heart approach, she makes this complex yet basic medicine and philosophy simple, enjoyable, and more importantly, imperfectly perfect for our modern life. She has been guiding people in her private practice for over a decade to build self-awareness, emotional wellness, to live a healthier life. So as usual, listen up to this jam. Namaste, listeners. Hi, Siva. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. We made it happen with yes. the time zone difference and everything. Are you ready to dive into the mind and Ayurveda today? I, I was so excited to kind of read what you wanted to talk about because... I feel like 
this is the stuff I like talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. So as a doctor, you have an extensive background in Western medicine, especially neuroscience and psychiatry, but that wasn't good enough to satiate your passion, enthusiasm, (laughs) and fixation about the mind-body connection. (laughs) So Ayurveda helped you find some extra answers. Could you share a little bit more about that obsession? And I'm quoting you with this kind of word. and it's linked to your own Ayurveda journey. Yeah. So, you know, it's so funny, you know, you never really know where you're headed when you start the journey, right? And um, when I went into neuroscience, it was such a cool burgeoning time for neuroscience. This is my undergraduate degree. And I had one of the best mentors and we were really looking at like, how do we choose things differently? And even like my thesis was on the sex differences and decision-making behavior between men and women, right? Like such cool stuff, right? <laughs> I barely remember it. So don't ask me too much about that. Okay. <laughs> I'll skip that part. <laughs> Apparently I haven't figured out all of the memory enhancing of, um, tools of Ayurveda. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was just like so conceptual and theoretical and philosophical and related to um, real life situations and applications, right? So this is the study of neuroscience. Now, the practice of neuroscience in medicine is like almost all the opposite qualities. It's, It's super limited. You're really talking like seizures and then all of the aging things, the dementias, the Alzheimer's, the Parkinson's, you know, and, you know, a small little amount of like random injuries. Mm. But it's, it's the, you know, the seizure stuff is like mostly with kids. And then Mm. all of the elderly stuff, it's all super depressing. And one of the reasons why it's super depressing is because we don't have any cures for anything, nothing. So we're just throwing drugs at things. I mean, like for seizures are, are still our main standard of um, medication is antipsychotics, right? Yeah. Like we don't, we do have some like anti-seizure medications now, but even still it's, it's like how much we know about why things happen and how the tools we have are, are really rudimentary. Yeah. We're, we're, I, I feel like we're still very primitive. And so imagine how depressing it was to go from this like, oh my God, this whole world of how we think and how we choose and, and the brain is so cool, you know, to like, I'm at that stage okay, right now. <laughs> here's, an, here's another prescription for something that maybe will help you, maybe won't, but really isn't going to change anything and you're going to be on it forever, right? So that's why I didn't go into neuroscience and medicine. And then when I was doing my psych rotations in, in the clinical years of med school, that's when I was like, oh, finally, here's a science where we're actually taking people's lives into consideration in the picture, because we're not doing that in primary care. We don't have the time. We're not doing that really even in pediatrics. Like we're not doing it anywhere as much as we should. Like GYN, like what the hell? We really should be considering some very important factors in our lives that directly affect the signs and symptoms that we're seeing in those organ systems and those tissue systems. But in Western medicine, we don't have 
that information. We don't have that perspective. It's like everything beyond the physical has been sort of cut out. And so, you know, there's no way to say, oh, this is how you can additionally affect it because it's not in the framework at all. Right. So coming to psychiatry, it was like, okay, great. Like now we're looking at how people's lives are affecting them. But just to give you an idea. So in psychiatry, we sort of have like two main houses. There's the sort of more Freudian, like psychodynamic stuff, which is more of that, like, let's look at all of how we got here and the childhood wounds and the imprints to better understand ourselves. Right. That's a little bit, you know, because you can spend decades on on the couch time yeah definitely and you know like still be unraveling stuff but look where it puts your focus look look where it puts your attention here's all the stuff that's messed up about me am i allowed to curse on this you are allowed to curse (laughs) on (laughs) because it might i when i get excited sometimes (laughs) emphatic language flows um so yeah it's it's like here's all the reasons why you're fucked up. And, you know, now we understand it, but I've just kept you focusing on breaking down all of what's wrong and why it's wrong. That is not healthy for us because it pumps out in our cells, all of those same like biophysiological responses of feeling like I'm not good enough. Something's wrong with me. You know, I need to solve this big thing. It's those feelings that you end up residing in when you're doing all of these thoughts. So, you know, the fact that what we think immediately results in how we feel. Definitely. And then that immediately results in how we choose everything. Ultimately, yeah. Ultimately. So interestingly, also how we feel influences how we think. This is a bi-directional. This is amazing. That's what I talked about in the intro. So I love that we so align on that. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So, you know, coming to psychiatry, there's the psychodynamic, then there's the cognitive behavioral. And, And definitely I was more geared towards that because that's more of like, okay, here is a behavior and, and it's resulting in this outcome. Let's change the behavioral response and then thereby change the outcome. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. That's beautiful because in there is like some awareness and acknowledgement of our role. There's, you know, in influencing what our life experience is. Yeah. Right. So it's a lot more empowered of the side of psychiatry, I think. And, and I'm more geared towards that, but even still, there is no, true um all of this spirituality all of you know all of it being outside of the mind is still cut out of the framework do you see what i'm saying yeah, definitely. and so the whole like what are my gifts what do i feel is my life you know my purpose my intention in this lifetime um what are the things that truly nourish my spirit um how am i feeling you know in my potency as a creational being um what are the like evolutions that i'm looking to take in the next cycles of my relationship you know do i like how do i attend to emotions as messengers and understand my own emotional needs and um in any given situation how do we bring emotional intelligence into decision making 
like that, I, that. I feel like is where I, that's the stuff that I honestly didn't find in Ayurveda school, but I found in Ayurveda in, in my own study in my, you know, so, what so do you mean I, your own study. Yeah. So I feel like, um, in Ayurveda school, they'll, they'll cover like Ayurveda psychiatry, you know, and definitely there's a lot that relates to the questions you were, um, presenting me with in our, um, email exchange of like, okay, well, how does the nervous system relate to, you know, the emotions and, you know, what sort of doshic imbalances are reflected by different emotions mm -hmm. and, you know, how can we bolster the mind and the nervous system? All of that stuff, yes. They, you know, technically, you know, this is stuff I learned in Ayurveda school, if you will, right? But, you know, I think with all of the best teachers, the stuff that we teach best or that we know best really comes from personal inquiry. Yeah, you know? that's true too. Definitely. It, it's the like the stuff that I feel strongest about, that I feel like are my biggest messages, are the ways in which I've put together all the information from the different sort of experiences in life. So yes, med school, you know, yes, psychiatry, yes, neuroscience, yes, meditating on a mountain for hours, you know, yes, <laughs> you know, doing this um, travel alone, um, living in different parts all over the world, seeing different indigenous healing systems, sitting with my grandmother when I was a, a girl, it's like it all comes together. Hmm. And you're seeing in it some novel recipe, some novel like way to put it together, some novel things to highlight in a certain way that is unique to you, right? Mm -hmm. So that it, in that I found my dharma, you know, in that I found like, okay, it's not that I'm meant to be a doctor or uh, I'm not a practicing doctor, uh, you know, I have an MD, but uh, oh, wait, am I meant to be an international public health professional? No, I I'm no longer a public health professional. I, I, yes, I have an MPH. Oh, am I meant to be an Ayurvedic practitioner? No, I, I don't even call myself an Ayurvedic <laughs> practitioner because I don't want to be bound by all of these boxes and, and the rules and the structure and like what I'm allowed to do and not allowed to do and what I'm supposed to say and how I conventionally need to present something because I'm a thought leader. Like this mm. is not I can't be restrained by, you know, the Ayurvedic board coming after me because I'm saying some leading edge translation of it that rings true for me and rings true for like the thousands of people that I've taught. Right. But mm -hmm. so anyways, I don't know how we kind of got all over the place. No, but that's but interesting because it shows how multidimensional we are at the end of the day and no box can actually define us so you taking all of your experiences all of your different feelings about a certain concept and making it your own that's the hallmark of this time for me of this age because look we have so much access to everything you can literally access anything yeah. so like the fact that siva likes you know celery juice and chai and Kyoto, you know, Japanese jazz and convertibles. And, you know, like I have access to all of that. So I have the ability to be so varied and so unique in a way, like imagine if I was in a village in a very rural place, like with no access to information, yeah, no real access to information, but also no access to even 
that process of having so much access that you choose and you carve out who you're choosing to be in those settings it it was more it feels more like we didn't you know i'm like referring to this like past lifetimes or something but we it's still now even like there's a lot of people who don't have the opportunity to choose who they want to be definitely yeah so i feel like if we are here in these settings where we can we must like that's (laughs) as simple as that yes (laughs) we just must yeah i agree with you there is so much freedom in choosing and sometimes we take that for granted but um thank you for (laughs) underlying that um but how did you get across ayurveda after all of the med yeah so super random my my grandmother came from India when I was born because I was born here in the States and Mm -hmm. she was just around and it was a thing where like, if I had a tummy ache, you know, she goes to the kitchen and she fries something and something and then comes and rubs it in my belly. You know, if I have a headache, she goes to the kitchen and, you know, she warms something and does something and massages it in my head. You know, oh, I am struggling with a cold. She goes to the kitchen. She cooks up this and, you know, and my mother was went the total other way because in India, this is like poor village medicine, you know, oh, and okay. Interesting. and it was illegal for the entire British regime because it was like connected to our spirituality and our power and our um, mysticism. And it's it is a spiritual endeavor because it's self-realization ayurveda and we can come to that next but so amma was just kind of around doing that stuff and then when i went to med school i was an atheist uh like a scientist like you know i would argue with her like amma like being cold with your hair outside wet outside isn't what gets you sick it's bacteria you know i i would say these things to her like oh you know beets don't make your blood red just because they're red amma You know, like, but I also didn't see that we were both right. I I couldn't reconcile the Western scientific with her sort of more, I don't know, just felt like kitchen uh, witchery, right? (laughs) Like, I couldn't reconcile the two. But indeed, if you do a breakdown of all of the nutrients that are in beets, you can very clearly identify why it actually is very nourishing for the blood system. It's not hard to bridge those two, right? When you understand that cold and the energetics of cold and and what it does to digestion and then how that impacts immunity, which lowers your resistance to the omnipresence of bacteria, right? Like it, oh, there is a connection. You can reconcile these two. So definitely for me, there are times I look back and I'm like, why did I get an MD? Like, I, you know, (laughs) that was a lot of money in student loans. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I realize I, I think it's because part of my role here is to really bridge those two views, you know, the, the ancient and the modern and And really everything we're finding in modern science is validating these ancient perspectives. And yet we're still so ridiculously like in our infancy and like not in our power 
like to me, my criticism of India is they're wasting too much time trying to prove the validity of Ayurveda to the Western science world, you know, and they're oh, doing like really just like, you know, these studies that are taking place, like, oh, we have the isolate from turmeric and we're applying it to rats and we're measuring inflammatory responses and we're identifying the molecules. Like, look, we have known for 5,000 years the turmeric is anti-inflammatory and the whole herb, not some extract <laughs> isolate. Like, why are we spending a million dollars on this study when we could be using that million dollars or we could be implementing the wisdom of this? Like, immediately they have ayurvedic hospitals they, they're doing beautiful you know hospital-wide trials and like why then regress to do this stuff is it's definitely some post-colonial i think like residue yeah, this is my yeah. personal opinion but it's like in, you know india stop wasting your time trying to prove this in the western context like step into really learning it and seeing it yourself because even ayurveda over there is super allopathic like you go to medical school and then you, you have additional like Ayurveda infused in it. So they come out with all of what we learn in four years and they come out with all of that. Plus all the Ayurvedic medicine in six. It's insane. Oh, wow. Insane. I mean, like, I don't know how that's all even integrated. It's not supposed to be like that. So, you know, it's supposed to be a lifetime of information coming in. So back to answer your question of how did I find my way to Ayurveda? So I was in public health. I kind of got a little disillusioned because I was, you know, working for some really amazing organizations globally that I had like aspired to work for. And I felt like there is no real impact. And like, there's a lot of red tape and a lot of politics. And I was a little disillusioned. And a lot of bureaucracy so too. I, all of that it. was also I, my experience before so I relate uh -huh. to that yeah so I, I just was like taking my like quarter life crisis break I had some money in the bank and I you know what do you do when you're in a quarter life crisis you do yoga so I mean I had been doing <laughs> yoga already but then I really got into it and I opened a yoga studio and um, then I was getting ready to become a mom And I decided, hey, you know, um, Amma's getting really old. I think she was around 96, 97. Like, I want to know, I want to learn. Like, I want to learn that way of life. I was already like, you know, eating organic, doing yoga, and like kind of interested in, in these themes and lifestyles. So I just literally went to Ayurveda school to learn how to mother in the way that my Amma raised me. Oh, and did lo you and know behold, it was Ayurveda what she was doing or you felt like it was just grandma stuff back then no no we didn't call it Ayurveda it was just like it was just yeah like grandmother recipes. yeah it was just it just what it was yeah but you know by the time she was older and I realized like you know she was not in the place where she could like teach me or you know not at the level um where she could like come and help raise my kids like that. <laughs> so uh, I just really went out of curiosity and wanting to learn home remedies. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, and then I was like, oh, this is the missing framework. Like this was the missing framework. This is how I can reconcile medicine and science with what I actually have as a life experience or what 
makes sense to me or what I feel. Mm. (laughs) Um, And that bridging finally happened. And then to also, at the same time, I finally was like coming into my spiritual self, you know, over those decades of time too. So it just kind of all came together with Ayurveda. And I had this love affair of like, oh, here is the missing framework. I get it now. I see the whole thing. And so, you know, I say that what I practice is mostly Ayurvedically inspired, but there's a lot of um, new age language that I use in, in talking about consciousness and spirituality and things. There's a lot of psych language I use in talking about emotional wellness. Um, there's a lot of medical language I'll use when talking about body systems, right? But it's so amazing to have all of those pools to pull from when yeah. I'm looking at any given situation, you know? I don't know if you feel like that, but I feel like it also validates every step of your journey too. Because you were saying just before, like, I don't even know why I did an MD, but at the end of the day, it gave you enough knowledge in Western medicine to be able to have this contrast with Ayurveda and spirituality and actually make your own system by blending both together. That and also I, I really do understand the credibility too. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's a ton of really brilliant Ayurvedic doctors here, but um, I don't know. I just, I feel like those letters behind my name, I hope will help me in my purpose to like, expand people's idea of of what modern medicine really is of what um had this access that we have you know of how it can be used to like tailor our approach to anything we're trying to heal or even to our own wellness preventative lifestyle Mm, definitely and you mentioned it a little bit before but there's a lot of buzz around the doshas when we discuss about ayurveda But when it comes to the mind, there's also an extra layer, I would say. As Ayurveda said that the mind possesses three gunas. I don't really know how to pronounce that. Is that the right pronunciation? Mm -hmm. Guna. Uh Is the invisible attributes of consciousness, which are responsible for the mind activity on the body. So you can correct me, but I think the sattva is bliss or goodness, tamo, inertia or darkness, and rajo, passion or motion. Could you please explain what is yeah. that all about? And yeah. do we have a unique mix of guna that influences the health functioning of the mind, like is the case with the doshas? Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, Raja Sattva Tamas are subtle energies, whereas the doshas are more physical energies. So, if I'm trying to describe the energetics of something in physical states of matter, then I'm going to use um, the doshas. When it comes to subtle energetics, there's several layers and layers of discussion. It's super complex, the idea of consciousness in Ayurveda. But um, another way to say what Rajasattva Tamas describes is like they're describing states of consciousness. So forget the story that my um, my teacher gave me to like an analogy to understand this when I first started learning would be like, okay, um, a, a lake that is super clear and still is like, 
that lake would have the quality of satvats. It's fully reflecting the light, it's clear, it's still, right? Rajas would be like the lake has a ton of waves happening, a lot of motion, a lot of movement, and it's, you know, reactive, right? So the wind blows and the wave comes and, the, you know, and so sometimes it's really reflecting the light and sometimes it's not. Yeah. Right? And then Tamas is kind of like, imagine the lake was super murky and like full of a lot of like more like swampy. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't even really reflect the light and it's heavy and thick, you know, it's not like that clear, like sort of thin, translucent water, right? So now as you hear these like adjectives I'm using, you can almost like apply them to people in, in how they speak and in how they make choices in life, like, you know, clear, illuminating, um still like non-reactive translucent transparent honest right like you could kind of get a feel for how this analogy could sort of extend to almost the way you see people operating right the consciousness that they're operating with so i can give let me just give you an example um this morning i returned my my rental car and um the charge like for the extra day was ridiculous just ridiculous and what the guy told me on the phone when I called to ask him what the charge would be for the extra day was 50% of that amount but he just failed to tell me about all of the fees and the taxes yeah so okay stimulation happens the wind occurs right now if I am like most human beings I'm in a rajasic consciousness and I'm reactive then that would be I'm reactive with him and like why didn't you tell me this? And I called you about this and this is not appropriate and blah, 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 blah. Okay. Am I reflecting my divine nature in that reactive response? Not Not really. Like it's not this guy's doing or control. Like he's just a car rental employee, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. like this is a system. It's a computer. They have this down, you know, um, what I'm, doing is I'm choosing a response that is just based on how the wind stirred me up, what my reaction is, right? But it's not coming from a conscious choice, right? Okay, I get it. It's, not, it's not being mindful of like, hmm. So let's say I was just in Tamas, you know, I might just get very quiet, not have any response, go outside, sit on the curb and cry. Yeah. Or not even cry, not say anything, not to, but it totally internalize that as like, oh my God. And then like, you know, feel like murky, like bad things always happen to me. Like, I can't believe that happened. Now I'm not going to be able to buy blah, blah, blah. Oh, this is so terrible. It's hopeless. I I have no power to change. I'm always victimized. Like there's not the reactivity with it. Mm. But it's like, like thoughts Super that heavy. sink you like a swamp. Yeah. And that don't motivate you to action. Not it, at there's, all. there's no like even yelling at the guy as an action. There's <laughs> no solving as yeah. an action. Right. Is there one better than the other? Well, I mean, obviously the goal of enlightenment is pure sattva. Yeah. So that consciousness is like, 
okay, like, thank you very much, sir. You know, like, this is the way things are. I'm accepting things the way they are. The truth is, is that now I've gained insight and clarity on how these rental car companies work. And that will probably serve me in the future. This is a learning experience for me. This gentleman was very friendly. Oh, yes. And let me now code in my brain and learn that whatever the base rate is, there's always going to be a lot of fees. Expect that. Okay, great. I learned something. I grew, you know, have a wonderful day. Everything is from a, how is this divine for me? How is this, how is this in my greater good? How does this serve my consciousness? So in this example, you can see why obviously sattva is what we're reaching for in terms of like our spiritual growth, Mm. our growing our awareness, our choosing to experience our life in a way that feels best. Because of those three scenarios, clearly the sattvic response allows me to feel happiest, Yeah, allows me to feel healthiest allows me to feel like the experience served me and so I'm not victimized. Mm. Whereas the other two, you know, with Rajas, it's like you're constantly in the waves and things aren't from a centered, conscious, mindful decision-making. It's like everything is just reactive and you're not really empowered in that place. You're you're kind of operating from that base victimization, right? Mm. And then with the Tamas, Again, there's definitely like a, a victimization, but it's all it's like inc- incorporated and internalized and like yeah. assimilated as like who you are, you know. So look, like obviously it seems like Thomas is the worst in the universe. We're just here to experience all of them, yeah, ourselves. Yeah. And the majority of humans are in a rajasic consciousness and when we do things to increase our awareness, to choose differently, to evolve ourselves and how we're showing up and shift the energetics of our life experience in that way, we're becoming more sattvic, we're becoming more enlightened, right? Yeah. We're, be- we're more reflective of the divinity that's inside of us and all around us that's inside of everything that's living, right? So, you know, yes, technically that's better, but there are times when you can be floating like too light. There are people that have trouble, like let's say you're a kid and you do some drugs and like you just you know can't can't bring it back down, you know, and you're just too disconnected and like ethereal. Like that's when something tamasic and quality would be a remedy. Mm. Do you see? So in Ayurveda, there is a time where everything is a medicine and everything is a poison. It's all dependent on context. I get it. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. So, So, you know, like if I'm hot, overheated, cold is the remedy. Hmm. If I'm freezing and, you know, shivering, then cold is a poison. Yeah. It's like the opposite of what you feeling or experiencing at this moment. Just like with the doshas, are we born with a specific mix of the gunas or is just regarding our own evolution, how we get in touch with our divine being or not? Both. And same with the doshas, actually, too. So I do review all of this in in my book. I kind of take people through understanding what are the basics of Ayurveda, you know, looking at your constitution, which you're referring to, right, which is sort of like how you were made energetic. Mm -hmm patterns like just how you were made but then there's also current state 
which is where you are now. And this is what no one really talks about in Ayurveda. And I think probably one of my biggest departures from traditional Ayurveda is veering away from this constitution-centric approach where it's type yourself and live this way, right? Type yourself and buy this thing. Type yourself and eat this thing, you know? And that that's ridiculous to me. Like if I'm going to suggest any healing remedy for you, it's based on where your energetics are now. Right healing now. happens yeah. in the now. So I really need to base that off of your current state. Now it's really helpful to know your constitution for your longer term patterns and things I should put in greater context, but it's not going to change what I'm telling you to do now to remedy what's happening now. If you will. So in my book, in in my intro course, I'm filming actually next week a beautiful intro course with one commune. It's all saying, listen, this type yourself thing is is fun, <laughs> um, but it's not where we're going to start. Um, yeah. And so really, let's look at what are the energetics of where we're at. So in answer to your question of like, oh, are we born with the gunas? Yeah, you you definitely are born with what what you were given, right? So energetically, what was present in the egg and the sperm combines, and also the energetics of the pregnancy experience. And that does come with certain states of consciousness and qualities that are subtle or non-physical and also physical, right? So you as a non-physical and physical little being, got the non-physical and physical components from your biological parents and also the energetics that came in in the womb and that whole little nice creation pops out as you and you have your constitution from that right but then your little energy ball is taking in energy taking in energy taking in energy taking in energy from like you know breast milk to schoolyard experiences yeah. um and everything we're going through, everything we're taking in, you know, so we're literally taking in the energetics of our lives and we're making up our bodies and, uh, you know, our substance from that, right? So your current state is sort of a reflection of like, what are the energetic patterns that are present in your, your little energy ball now? And we can look at the doshic patterns that are present, like, okay, like, wow, there's a, a lot of this or a lot of that or, you know, da, da, da. And then we can also look at your states of consciousness and those will all fluctuate based on what the energetics are that you've been taking in recently. Okay. Thank you for the clarification. (laughs) Yeah. But let's keep on going. Um, Where are we? We've been like, (laughs) we've been going all around. (laughs) All over the place. Yeah. Okay. So we were talking about the states of consciousness with the Gunas. And actually one of my question is, when we go through personal and collective kind of turmoil, challenging, anxious, stressful times, why Ayurveda is incredibly beneficial and kind of sanity saving in this kind of times? It really is the only thing that is because, you know, you can have a drink. I'm very big fan of, you know, soothing in these ways that we know how to soothe, right? Like, mm-hmm. but does that really change your consciousness does it really grow you evolve you or give you more sanity no it doesn't right so in ayurveda i feel like it's the only way to true emotional wellness because we can't have true emotional wellness unless the energetics of our lives are clean oh powerful powerful because you're, if you think about it, your emotional body is a really beautiful signaling system. Yeah. So its whole point is to let you know, 
good job. Things are feeling good. Here's some good feelings. <laughs> Or watch out. Something's not right. Here's some unpleasant feelings.、Hmm. Like that's its core function, right?、Hmm. It's, it's a guidance system. So, unless everything is clean in your life, meaning you're free of internal conflict, your relationships are in good order, you feel happy with what you're doing in your life, you're finding joy in a day, you have a lifestyle that supports your wellness. Like, how can you really feel good? Good or bad? If you have everything、good. like that. How can you really feel good without that stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But that is the ideal when we think about it. But in real life, there's a very small portion of people feeling like that. But that's only because they don't know how to choose that way. So, like, what I can tell you, like, that's the common thread between all of my clients. So, I have people that will come to me that have no diseases at all, that just like, you know, heard me at a yoga teacher training or something and, and wanted to work with me to like, I just feel something's off, and I just, you know, so I, I don't know what it is. And we、mm-hmm. look at their lives and we're like, ooh, the energetics of your financial stability, the energetics of your relationships, you know, the,、um, the energetics of your day to day life and your community and what you're really wanting in your life experience. Oh, like, here are some areas that are really off, like、mm-hmm. um, the way in which you're eating, maybe, who knows, right? And what I do is I teach them how to see the patterns that they're in. And introduce a bunch of different shifts or ideas or tools, but I bring them into the thinking process of like, here's the pattern that we're addressing. Here's what we're looking to cultivate more of or head towards the pattern, the new pattern that we're looking for. Here's、um, a bunch of ideas on what would head you closer in that direction, right? Like, which one resonates most with you?、Mm-hmm. You know, what, what do you feel? How do you think about this? And I bring them in right from the beginning to teach them to fish. Because it's just a matter of being taught the ability to see the patterns in your life, to identify where the, the energetic you know, need attention, and to have the confidence and the belief that you can shift the energetics. Right? So I hold their hand through that process while we attend to whatever it is in their lives. So you know, that could look very different for this like, sample person that. Is you know, just like this yoga woman that has no big diagnoses to somebody who's got several long term chronic degenerative diagnoses.、Hmm. That work looks different, but the process is the same. It's building awareness, teaching them to be able to see the patterns that they are、um, having, that they're embodying, and that they're choosing, teaching them to see how they're choosing it. Giving them ideas of how to choose differently, holding their hands while they choose differently and like modify and learn, and then actually experience a shift in the energetics and get to feel it. And that's a transformation. And once you get a taste for that, like you really you want that. Like once you find a, a, a way to work through your day where you're like, I love my day, you know? <laughs> <laughs> once you find a way to deal with your kids where you're like, oh, I. I like my kids. <laughs> you know, like, it feels amazing. You know, once you find a way to eat where you're like, oh, I'm not bloated all the time, like, oh, it feels amazing. You don't want to stop. You don't want to give that up. Do you know? Yeah, definitely. So I think、um, Ayurveda is the way that we learn how to clean up the energetics of our lives in the big picture. So, that really is the only way to true emotional wellness, right?、Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that the energetics won't get messed up and life won't bring challenges. It just, but 
you've got the process, you've got the skill and you, and you attend to your emotional wellness and you achieve it. Um, on, on a smaller scale, Ayurveda gives us like so much really um, helpful basics on just like, okay, like having a daily rhythm, having self-care routines, um, balancing wear and tear, taking time to, you know, connect mind and body, yogic practices, um, breath work immediately changes the mind frames. Like mm. there's, there's so many tools in Ayurveda to support the actual body and, and the physical um, nervous system, uh, right? side of things too so i feel like that's why i said to me ayurveda is the only real way to this because you need a system you need an approach that allows you to attend to the larger energetics of the container of your life experience but also the micro energetics of you know what's happening in your body and like day to day in your mind yeah yeah. And I just want to circle back to something that you said uh, about choosing, because we do choose our perspective, how we look at things, how we behave, et cetera, et cetera. But you also mentioned people with chronic diseases or diseases of any sort. So how mentally these people will take it when you say you're sick, but you're choosing a certain pattern that is not helping your case? Because most of the time we feel like, okay, I'm sick. This is not my fault. This is just nature or whatever. It's genetic. Or genetics. Yeah. <laughs> so how, how um, does that fly with everybody? Everybody has their own responses. Of course, there's always the human spectrum of response. So it will depend on your level of emotional maturity, right? And by emotional maturity, I'm talking about being able to take accountability, you know, um, to feel accountability, you need to be able to have a sense of personal power. A lot of people have never been taught that and don't believe in their own self-worth and power. And so they're not yet with the capacity to take accountability. In the Vedas, we just view them as sort of like newer souls, if you will, you know, like not yet with that sort of spiritual maturity, like kind of still toddlers in that way. And so along that spectrum, of course, there are people who are going to be really turned off or upset to hear that message. Um, Yeah, because it kind of feels like you say this is your fault. You know, mm -hmm. some people can interpret it like that. And, you know, those people, I I wish them well, but um, that's like people that work with me, usually have heard me speak or have heard me teach and know what they're getting into and um it like there is like for me there's just the healing that's the goal and the forefront so let's get there do you know Mm. what I mean and if you're not ready to take this healing step okay that's okay we can acknowledge that but at least we're clear and honest about where we're at. We're not blaming something else. We're not staying in disempowerment. We're saying, I need more time to digest and process than like align and act on this. Hmm. And it's in progress, but at least I've built the clarity and the awareness. There's a difference in that. And that's still healing, right? Because it tells the inner psyche that you're no longer in internal conflict. It's just, you're being loving and gentle with yourself and giving yourself a little time 
to, you know, ripen to, to do what you need to do, but you're clear and you've shown up to grow in the awareness and the accountability. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I tend to attract people that can handle that really well. And it's a, it's a prerequisite to healing because if you don't show up to take charge of your role in creating the patterns, then how can you flex your power in changing the patterns? Yeah. But that I do understand. And I think I'm I completely 100% agree. But my not necessarily I it's not that I don't agree or anything. But what makes me question is, for example, for people with incurable diseases, or people with a brain tumor or whatever, where is the choice here? Yeah, so the choice, um, they will say was on a spirit level. So this is Ayurveda, right? So it's, it's a philosophy that looks at we are here for the experience and yeah. every experience is a part of our growth as a soul, right? So Definitely. let's say, you know, there is a tragedy or a loss or something. It's because we are meant to grow or heal in some way that we wouldn't, you know, it's, it's all interconnected for that. And mind you, this philosophy comes from the belief of recycling of energy, yeah. Right. So we have the carbon cycle. We have it like also to soul material, non-physical materials also recycled. And so very much so we're recycled physically, but in the Vedas, they also believe we recycled non-physically. And so the idea that your, your non-physical matter spans lifetimes, you know, when you zoom out on that level, it's like, yes, every lifetime is going to be full of tragedies and victories. And It's all there to just expand your soul, expand your soul, bring in more light, expand Mm. your soul, expand your sattva, and that's it. And so there's nothing like really tragic from this perspective. Now tell that to a mother that just lost her child that you can't, you know, but this is the zoom out perspective, right? I I think like in the end, staying in victimization and tragedy doesn't allow the healing because it keeps you a vibrational match for more victimization and tragedy. So it's not until you fully say, I'm in an empowered stance on this, which can only happen when you say, everything happens for my greater good, even this ridiculous car rental charge. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's where the spiritual aspect of Ayurveda comes in because we were the way that we were talking when we talk about diseases my first instinct is thinking about the physical okay your body is sick but that's true we need to zoom out we need to, to look at the soul journey too about why we're here why we going through these different challenges and that with any kind of bad or good event you kind of get a lesson from it to grow and elevate your soul. I mean, that's my own perspective on things. Oh, yes. And I, you know, my, my most toughest cases are the long term autoimmune um, diseases, the ones that have been on like, immune suppressants, like basically chemotherapy for years. Um, And my goodness, the amount of healing that I have witnessed, I got goosebumps right now. But I also like really want to write a book that's just like case studies. I just I don't have time to do everything I want to do. We want to have yeah. this book. We want to read it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Where it's just like stories of healing that I've, that I've witnessed. Like 
I mean, there is this one woman, I'll never forget her. And she was for 12 years on all of these like hardcore for rheumatoid arthritis. We got her out of her job, switched the energetics around in her marriage, changed her daily routine, changed her diet, put her on some rejuvenative herbs and switched also her exercise routines. She cut her pharmaceutical load by 75% in a year and a half. She was glowing. She lost 40 pounds. Everyone was asking her what she was doing. You know, I mean, wow. But then again, it's the power of the mind, the way that you guys shifted everything plus the yeah, it does. But remember how we were saying before, like thoughts affect feelings, affect yeah. choices, yeah. but it's also bi-directional. So the other yes, way around the too. power of the mind and that she could choose to think, but this is really hard. Like, can you imagine like when you're in so much pain and you're taking all these medications and you're going through all the side effects of it and you know, you like your job and it's fine and you've done it forever, but it doesn't really drive any passion and your marriage is sort of loveless. And like, it's really hard to change your thoughts from there. I agree. But what we did is we, she gave me the power as, as like a practitioner healer, coach or whatever you want to call it to guide her to change her choices. And, you know, she didn't put her faith necessarily in, in herself, but she, she showed up to change the choices, which then changed the feelings, which then changed the thoughts. And Mm. then it went back and up and back and up and back and up. So that's so cool that you brought that up because yes, there is the power of the mind, but before you even are able to really shift what you believe and what you think, you can shift what you're choosing and experience a shift in what you're feeling. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And that gets me thinking about the law of attraction. I mean, we kind of moving like from the... (laughs) We need a second episode. (laughs) Yeah. But a lot of people are thinking, okay, you just think about it. You just feel like it's going to happen and then it happens. But sometimes also changing your scenery, changing the way, I mean, the people you associate with helps you have this kind of mindset and not necessarily just starting with the mindset. Everything that shifts the energetics shifts our manifestation. Yes. Because it's all about being a vibrational match for the experience that we're desiring. So if I'm eating in a way that matches that, if the, you know, affirmations I'm playing matches that, if the the vibration of my uh, my room, my environment, like you can yeah. shift energy in infinite ways. So absolutely when it comes to manifesting and law of attraction, which is just an energetic basic principle that definitely was acknowledged in in the vedic time period and all ancient cultures yes um yeah absolutely where you know it's not just we need belief to turn a desire into a positive expectation almost all of us humans get stuck on the belief part exactly yeah so in the meantime you have a desire you're cultivating positive expectation. Ayurveda is such a potent way to look at what are all the other ways I can shift the energetics to line up with that positive expectation while I'm working on the belief part. Yeah. I just love your approach to Ayurveda and everything that you've been talking about because it's the mind, yes, but it's also all of the energy 
working, co-creating with the mind. Thank Absolutely. You. Like at its core, I think I also describe Ayurveda as an energy mapping system, mm. but it's it is also the awareness that you build. It's like once you start seeing color for the first time, you can't turn it off. So once you start seeing energetic patterns, you see them in everything. You've, you've really built an, a new consciousness, right? Hmm. And so really Ayurveda is that awareness too. And then when you apply that consciousness to how you make your choices, who am I hanging out with today? What time am I going to bed? What am I eating? Blah, blah, blah. Well, then it's empowered decision-making really, because I could say, let's define Ayurveda as a way that really means I know how to choose what's best for me in any given decision. Yeah. Whoa. Right. And then you do that regularly and it's a lifestyle. Yeah. And then you get into your routine. Definitely. So empowerment tool instead of just a medicine and a philosophy. Yes. It's not just home remedies. Like I thought when I first started, (laughs) you called that what kitchen witchery. (laughs) So yeah. <laughs> and very last question, where can we find you, Siva? You mentioned your website. Yes, the website is the best place. Um I think you found me on Instagram. I did. Which is also Ayurveda by Siva, so that's A Y U R V E D A B Y S I V A, ayurvedabysiva.com and really the website has my events, my courses, the book um people that might be interested in private consultation and all of that good stuff it was a lot to cover in this only one episode good news it just means that you'll get a part two of it before jumping into the soul so stay tuned it will be released very soon thank you so 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 much uh i really enjoyed our talk i love all of the beautiful and powerful gems that you sparkled here and there so thank you so much You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Like, this is a really fun conversation. And I think you're asking really good questions. Oh, thank you. (laughs) That goes straight to my heart. (laughs) Good. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you to have taken the time to listen to me and my guest talking about conscious living. Conscious Matters is a self-produced podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and ordinate. Five stars, always preferred. Your support will help to keep on raising the collective consciousness together. Talk to you soon.